Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. Before we get going today, let me make some announcements. First of all, this week I published a new post that I've gotten some great feedback on from parents called Fight, Flight, or Freeze, What a Child's Negative Reactions May Be Telling You. And sometimes when our little ones do not want to play with us or work with us, if we're trying to, for a therapist and trying to engage them in a therapy activity, or even if we're a parent and you're just trying your best at home to get them to talk <laughs> and you're doing everything you know how to do and they are just not interested or they react really, really negatively or maybe they're aggressive toward you and you're having a hard time figuring that out. Take a look at that post because sometimes it's it's just at face value a child's reactions are not what that we think they are. So I hope I'll give you some insight to that when you're you're reading through that post. And that's a two-part post. The second part of what we do about that when we see one of those negative reactions is upcoming. And hopefully that will be published uh, the beginning of next week. So that's one thing. The next thing I wanted to mention is if you are on my email list, you got an email yesterday with uh, the fight, flight, or freeze post and a notification of our weekend sale. We have therapy manuals on sale and then even a a coupon code to get $10 off a product. Now, don't forget for all podcast listeners, you can enter the code podcast, just P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save $10 at any time off any product. And I'm I'm never going to take that coupon code down. So if you are thinking, oh, I'm going to get this, but I'm not, you know, I'm going to wait, or I'm driving right now. I I don't remember. Podcast is an easy coupon code to remember, so hopefully that will help you. And then my last announcement is Therapy Tip of the Week is back. Woohoo! I love doing those little videos, but gosh, sometimes it's so hard to get them scheduled and get them just all the pre-production stuff you have to do and all of that. But anyway, I have three new episodes of that ready to go, so hopefully those will be coming out over the next few weeks. All right, let's continue the series that we started. This is the sixth show in this series, and we're talking about selecting therapy activities for toddlers and preschoolers. And remember, over the course of these last few shows, we've talked about how important it is to match our activities to several things that are individualistic about the child. First of all, their developmental level. So how it, how advanced are they? How Where are they struggling? You know, if they're three but they're developmentally at an 18-month level, you can't really always play with three-year-old toys. So we've talked about how important that is. We've also talked about regulation or how comfortable a child is, how ready he is to participate. And we've walked through the hierarchy of activities. You know, we did movement activities. We've done social games. We've done cause and effect toys. We've done sit-down toys. Last week, we talked a lot about sensory activities. And today, we are moving on to something that's so important, introducing early pretend play. Now, it is so fun when a kid reaches this developmental level, and this kind of play is really essential for language development because in this kind of play, we are teaching a child how to become symbolic, meaning that he's using one object or tool to represent something else. And if you'll think about it, that's what words are. Words are symbols. You know, a table is not a table because it's a table. It's We call it a table. It's a label. That's the symbol. The word is the symbol that we use to represent that concrete real-life object. So we see a correlation in the development of a child's language skills, how well he combines words, how mature he becomes in his vocabulary, just all kinds of those wonderful cognitive processes that are happening in his little brain. We see that represented in play, and then we see that catch up (laughs) with his language development. So here's my point with that. For a kid who's really, really struggling to become symbolic, he's going to have a super hard time learning how to communicate beyond a really basic level. So this is just a, a super important, critical, essential skill 
that we help children acquire. And here's here's what I found to be so true. And if you're a therapist who's worked for a while, I bet you, you've recognized this in your own practice. So many toddlers with language delays get stuck or plateau at particular levels. And this is one of the places that we can find kids really, really having a difficult time moving toward, and that's pretend play. They may do fine with cause and effect or with constructive toys, meaning they're, they like Legos. They want to build or they want to well, destroy <laughs> those kinds of toys um, or ca- you know, cause and effect. They may, they may even be pretty good at apps on their iPad. But they just can't get over the hump of really learning how to play and moving on to that next little rung of development where they, you, you can see that they understand more and more about the world around them because their play starts to mature and they start to feed a stuffed animal or they pretend that their baby doll is going to sleep or they grab a bag and act like they're going to go shopping. And so we we really, really see, again, this major hurdle for lots of our little friends. So it's so important to know how to help a child move through this process. And there are really four important steps for introducing early pretend play in toddlers. Now, this will not get a kid all the way through to pretending to have a birthday party (laughs) with his friends or pretending that he's a superhero or something like that. We're not there yet. We're talking about children, again, toddlers who are at that um, 18 month or so, 18 to 24 months developmental level who are in the very beginnings of this phase because here's the truth. You cannot expect a kid to play something as advanced as, you know, a big uh, you know, Duplo or, or Lego set or, or with Batman and Superman, you know, with 15 other characters in their cars and they're having little wars and all those things. You can't expect them to ever get there if they don't really understand how to do tea party or how to, again, like the examples I gave before, how to feed a baby doll or make a baby doll go to sleep or any of those really, really early basic pretend play things. And sometimes as parents, we kind of jump ahead of that. You know, we'll start to play something like school or going to the doctor with a kid who's nowhere near ready for that kind of play. So let's talk about how we introduce pretend play. And it's really, really sequential. And this is super important, especially for new therapists, because they don't teach us this kind of stuff in grad school. You know, we learn a lot of theory, but sometimes we are really short on the how-tos. You know, we are supposed to learn all that in clinical practice, but you don't really get every kind of kid that you're going to see. Or you may have one kid who has uh, who responds or doesn't respond to what you know how to do. And that's that's extent of your experience. You may not have lots and lots and lots of children to really help you solidify how to do this process in your own practice. So that's why listening to these kinds of shows is super, super important. And here's the other thing about an experienced therapist. You may know some of this or all of it, but you've never put it together or thought about it in this kind of way. So you're doing the right things, but you don't know how to teach it to another therapist or you don't really know how to explain it to a parent. And so, again, you're kind of hitting the high marks and you're doing okay, but you can be so much better when you really hone in and think about what you're doing and think about how you're introducing play or what you're doing with a kid who seems stuck, who's in that plateau that we mentioned earlier. So let's talk about, again, how we can use these four steps to help a young child begin to engage in early pretending. And let me just say for those of you who who are parents who are listening, you may have a three- or four-year-old that you realize, gosh, you know, she's right. I, I don't really see him starting to pretend. Now, he may hold his Thomas the Train or hold his little favorite toy for dear life, and he may spin it or he may get down on the floor and really look at it or, you know, run it up the wall or something, but he doesn't really, really, really play or there's not a lot of variety here or there's, you know, he's stuck back in the the previous kinds of uh, categories of play that we've already talked about with cause and effect and object permanence and, and, you know, puzzle, simple simple problem solving, but he just hasn't really branched out to really, really play. And this is what happens a lot when parents will say to me, I have a whole house full of toys that this kid does not like. And what they've done generally 
is they'll have uh, a lot of toys that fall in this category, and they don't really understand that a kid doesn't understand how to play yet. So that's why this information is really, really important for parents too. And let me just say, this stuff, once you think about it and start to really try to implement it, a lot of times it falls into place. And so you don't have to understand every single philosophy or theory that we talk about or that you read about. You can really just start to implement, especially what we're talking about today, and get some pretty good results. Or let's say you're a different kind of therapist. You're not a speech-language pathologist. You're a developmental therapist and a preschool teacher. You've stumbled into this show quite by accident. You're not even sure how you got here. These kinds of things will help you. This simple process will help a kid get started when he seems to be struggling to understand how to pretend. All right, so let's start with step number one. And if you have been listening to this series, you know, we're in show number six of this series, Selecting Therapy Activities, a kid is already there because the first step is, or, or if you've been working through this series with your own child or with a child that you're seeing on your caseload, the first step here is help a child learn to use familiar toys appropriately or, as a therapist would say, functionally. So what does that mean? That means that a kid knows how to use a toy or even a familiar object in his daily routine um, the way it's intended. So let's just take some examples. What would a kid do with a car? He would roll it, right? He would. You're going to say pretend to drive, but a lot of kids, honestly, they're just rolling it because the wheels are on there and they figured out that that's how it moves most efficiently. And you may think they're pretending when they're really, really not. And again, that's uh, something that's a little harder to sort out, and you don't have to fully be able to determine that. Uh, but let me just say it's it's worse when we overshoot a child's skills when we – think he's pretending and he's really, really not because we don't then take the time to really teach him the steps or make sure that he has all of those foundational skills. And so it's sort of better to underestimate a kid's skills and assume that you'll kind of have to work through all of these steps and teach him all of these things to be sure that your bases are covered. It's better to do that than to go on for months and months and think that he understands pretend play and that he's just not doing it, you know, he's just non-compliant or it's just behavior, he doesn't like it. It's it's much better to underestimate than to, again, miss out or, or um, deprive a child of an opportunity to really learn when you're working with him just because you didn't realize that he's struggling. And that's that's a hard thing. And, again, as a parent, boy, this happens all the time, so don't beat yourself up too much. But as a therapist, hey, you should know. <laughs> you should not really be severely over or underestimating a kid's true developmental level. We should always be doing accurate, objective, just-in-time evaluations where we're looking at that kid in real time and able to figure out what he can and can't do. And again, sometimes that's easier said than done. You'll realize, oh boy, I really thought he understood more than he does. Or, gosh, boy, she's oh, she's made a big jump. I didn't give her. I haven't been giving her credit for this. And look at what she knows. And so those things happen. Those are natural. But again. It's much, much, much more dangerous for that child to overestimate and then not teach these kinds of things than the opposite. All right, so again, this first step here, you're helping a kid learn how to use things appropriately. So we gave the car example. So what would a kid do with blocks? He would build. He would stack them up and then knock them down, right? A ball, what's, his, what, what's the intended action that he would do? I hope you feel like I'm talking directly to you because I am. <laughs> and some of you email me <laughs> or if I get to talk to you on the phone, if you call our office, you'll say, I feel like that show is just you and me. I feel like we're friends. So talk back to me when I'm saying things like, what would a kid do with the ball? I hope you're saying throw it, catch it, kick it. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for here. And just knowing that a kid understands how to use that object, that's where things begin. And and remember what I said when I started talking about this a couple minutes ago. If you've worked through this play hierarchy or activity hierarchy, you already know that because you've had a kid doing these kinds of things. He When he gets a book, he looks at the pictures. That's what he should be doing. When he sees a puzzle, he puts the pieces in or takes the pieces out. If there's a hammer laying there, he picks it up and knows I'm going to pound it. I'm, you know, boom, boom, boom. He knows what to do with it. So what do you do if a kid's not doing that? 
you back up. <laughs> you do not work on pretend play because that child is not developmentally ready. So go back and listen to those other shows and get yourself some other ideas for this kind of play. Now, the show that we did last week about sensory activities, lots and lots of kids, I've had them where they, I feel like they're just kind of stuck in that level forever. And then we start introducing some of these little play routines in the midst of the sensory activity, and all of a sudden they have it. It's, it's easier for them to kind of bridge the gap and so that may be something you can go back and listen to that other show and then pull in some of the ideas that we're going to talk about today and think about how we can that jump or help a kid make that jump so that's the first thing we're going to do is help him learn how to use those really simple basic toys as they are intended that's the first step for introducing pretend play the next step we're going to move on up where we have a child begin to use objects on or to herself. So what do, you, what do I mean here? This would mean that a kid would do something with an object, again, and there's some part of their body or something they are using that toy or object on or to or by themselves. And again, don't get too complicated here. You're thinking, well, a ball, aren't they doing that? Not really. Here, what we're talking about here are things like everyday items like a phone. So if a kid sees a phone, whether it's a real phone or a pretend phone, we want them picking it up and pretending like they're talking on it. Now, they just may be jabbering away. <laughs> you may not be able to understand one single thing they say, or they may be doing a lot of jargon where you hear, blah, 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 mama, blah, 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 hi, blah, 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 bye-bye. And so they're telling you, hey, I understand this. I know what I'm supposed to do with this. I'm copying you. I'm imitating you. I've seen you model talking on the phone, and I am so developmentally advanced here at one or two <laughs> that I'm picking up that phone and I'm pretending to do the same thing. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. That's, uh, let me give you some more examples of these other familiar objects that a kid could learn to use the object on himself. So like dishes. What would we expect a kid to do with a cup? Drink. Yeah, pretend like he's drinking. Now, here's another kicker. Sometimes we'll give kids credit for that. They'll pick up a plastic cup that we're playing with, you know, a baby doll set. And you think, oh, it's pretending. And then you notice he really expects something to be in there. <laughs> he may even hand it to mom or he may get kind of mad and throw the cup down. That's because he's not really pretending yet. He knows what that cup is for. He's back at step number one, learning how to use that object appropriately and functionally. And he's there, but we've got to kind of get him over the gap or over the hump there where he's understanding there's nothing in there. I'm just doing this for the sake of playing and having fun. So other kinds of little dish things that you could do, a bowl and a spoon. Kids love to pretend to stir. That's one of my First things that I always try to get a kid to do, and I'm pretty dramatic about it. Boy, I take my spoon and I just go to town pretending that I'm stirring there in that little bowl. And, and toddlers think that is just hysterical. Or um, using it on himself, that would be pretending he's eating, like stirring that and pretending to eat. Now, that's a little bit more advanced. That's really combining those two steps. So a kid won't be doing that right at the beginning, but you may see him grab the spoon and stick it in his mouth. And again, if he's not mad, <laughs> there's not a bite really, really there, you'll know that he is moving toward understanding pretend play. So other kinds of things here in that dishes, utensil, avenue, you know, a cup, a spoon, a fork, a plate, a bowl, anything that's not going to be easily damaged, things that would be safe. Those would be good little toys to introduce. What about uh, plastic foods? We talked about this back in early sit-down activities when I told you how obsessed I am with Velcro plastic food and with my little toy microwave. Here's where, again, earlier phases of play, we've really seen, or hopefully, these, these little glimpses of early pretend play starting to emerge. So if you've seen a child act interested in that and if he likes it you know you that's that's a tool you'll you'll use you'll you know you've you've pretended that you're or you've cooked the food in your early sit down thing and remember in a previous 
face here, you probably just would have been more interested that the kid stayed with you, right, and that he watched the whole little process. But now what do you want him to do? You want him to take that, um, whatever you've cooked in your toy microwave, you know, take that banana. And again, you it didn't have to make sense. We don't cook bananas, but two-year-olds don't care about that. So take that banana out and pretend like he's going to take a bite. Now, some parents get all wigged out about this and say, you're teaching him how to mouth toys and we want him to stop that. That's opposite. Here we're letting him pretend. So it's okay. You know, and I just, I, I model this all the time and I'll tell a kid, oh, you know, oh, we're pretending we, we just play. And, you know, just hold the, the food right in front of my mouth. That's a good way to get a kid not to try to shove it in there and really, really, really eat it. <laughs> but you want to give them enough practice. And again, model you have to show them how to do it you have to show them they're not, you're not really sticking the whole pretend cookie in your mouth you're just holding it right there and you have a good time when you're doing it and again you know whatever you would say you know ooh yum 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 or mm 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 any little thing any little play sound like that to make it more novel and more fun will capture that child's attention and again that's the essence of playing you're really modeling evidence of understanding what it means to pretend we don't really eat it we just act like we're going to and unless a kid sees you do that time after time after time after time he has no experience with that because in his world if he hasn't played with this toy for very long when you see a cookie you eat it when you see an apple you take a bite so you've got to really differentiate pretending toys versus real life objects so I hope that makes sense to you all right so let's move on any kind of other materials like dishes and toy food or everyday items that are relevant in a kid's daily routine so anything that looks like it's for bathing or sleeping or any kind of early even dress up things hats glasses backpacks which I want to talk to you about in just a second but any of those things where you can see a kid learn how to use that object on himself so with the hat what's your goal here you want a kid to put it on his head you want him to know that that's where it goes and again we're just stopping right there for right now with what a child uses on himself so that's our first step here let me say one of the therapy tip of the week episodes that I teased in the intro to today's show uh, is about this very topic and it's called a pretend with me backpack now a former colleague introduced me to that several years ago I don't know if she, she's retired now I don't know if she really got this going or not but it's a fabulous idea and what you do is you take a backpack and you put or a purse or a bag anything that a kid would like and I always use something with a zipper because that's so entertaining for children they love that fine motor practice and that's exactly what they're doing they're practicing those little fine motor and cognitive skills can I close it can I open it can I close it can I open it and it's super super fun so some kind of little bag like that and you fill it with all of these kinds of things and so in the therapy tip of the week that You'll see, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, that I've got my little backpack with a brush and a cup and some glasses that we talked about with those early dress-up things. And I have a toothbrush, a washcloth, some pretend food, um, the, I think cup, I think I might have already said that one. But I'm, I'm showing you how you take these early pretend objects and you have them all assembled in one little set and you just take them out of the backpack one at a time and you model what you would do with that and again you make it super super fun if you have the hat you're saying oh hat look where does it go and you put it on your head and you say oh here hat up up look look hat and you do something silly with it you might try to sneeze it off you might just shake it around on your head where it moves a little bit, anything to capture that kid's attention, and then you give him the hat, and you see what he'll do. Now, a lot of us as therapists would sort of want to assess where a child is originally before we got started with this kind of activity, so you may do some time just presenting the, the objects and seeing what a kid will do himself, but you know usually what a kid's going to do or you have a pretty good idea of whether he understands about this whole pretend thing or whether he doesn't so 
think, man, this kid, mm, if I just let him start pulling these objects out, that's all he's going to want to do is empty the bag and then lose sight of everything that's in there because he's just going to be in that mode of let me dump everything out of here, which is very natural for toddlers. But what you would do with that kid in that situation is really control the activity so that you are taking one object out and modeling it and then giving it to him for him to use, and then you get the bag after you've played with that for a minute or so or two minutes, however long. You can make that object last, and then you get another one. One other helpful thing here that, I talk, that I'm going to talk about in the video is sometimes it helps to have two identical objects, so maybe a hat for you and a hat for the kid, so that you're both using it at the same time. Now, sometimes a kid will get distracted with that and so that if he has the object he automatically leaves you out because he no longer needs you to have fun <laughs> so with those kids you just use one object but for some kids who get so mad that they're not having a turn or they don't have one of their own that they can you know hardly stand it they're doing everything they can to wrestle the object from you that's the kind of kid that you would use the two identical objects so you would have two cups so that you could you know, if he pulls out a cup, you're going to get your cup out too. And so you're doing the same things. You're modeling what you want him to imitate. So look for that upcoming therapy tip of the week. It's a great idea. And let me just say, I used to really embed these kinds of early pretend activities no matter what we were playing with. And certainly I bet that you've done that too as a mom or as a therapist when you were back in an earlier developmental level and looking at cause and effect toys and early sit-down activities and even some of the sensory things that we talked about, you probably can, can't keep yourself from if there's a, uh, let's use our example of plastic food, you probably can't help yourself but pretend to eat the food. You know, if you're good with kids, you like to play too, so you know how to do it and you've probably tried some of that already. So. Uh, this, again, that activity where you're really modeling this sort of thing is the crust of helping a child learn how to do this. So uh, I wanted to be sure to mention that. All right, that's step two, helping a child learn how to use objects on herself. Next step, step number three, we're moving along here. We're helping a child expand that just a little bit, just the next little baby step. So what do you think it is? If they've learned how to use objects on themselves, what would be next? It would be learning how to use that object on another person. And again, this has happened probably a lot where, and you may have noticed this in everyday life, where a kid is taking a drink from his sippy cup, and boy, he tries to make you drink. <laughs> and I've joked about this before in conferences and courses that I teach live where, you know, I've had so many, you know, bumps on my lips where a kid has tried to stick a sippy cup in my mouth before I've known it was coming. That, that's just a natural expansion of early pretend play. And so this is what we're doing here. We're helping a child move toward that. So if you've had a baby doll set and you've tried <laughs> to get a kid to brush the baby doll's hair and he's not interested in brushing the doll's hair, but he wants to brush his hair and then he wants to brush mom's hair, this is where he is. He has given you a clue <laughs> about his development and his little brain is functioning. So that's what we want to do. We want to spend some time helping him begin to use, expand his object use in this way. So back to your pretend with me backpack or however else you've set this up. And again, you might have been doing these things, but you're not, you haven't been as purposeful or intentional about it as you should have been. So now you know, when I see a kid use something on himself, that's fantastic. Let's see if we can bump it up to the next level and see if he'll use it on me. I do this a lot in therapy when I'm playing with a child and mom, and I've modeled what I want the kid to do, pretend play-wise, with just these really early kinds of uh, toys, and he does it. We get him to do it on himself, and then sometimes you're just going to have to stay there for session after session after session until a child really grasps that. But sometimes, even in a single session, you know, well, man, he's got it. He's used five or six objects here. He's doing great. I get, I, he's using all these objects on himself. Let me see what I can. Let's see if I can bump him up. And that's where you would help a kid use it on somebody else, and you can do it on yourself. But I found that it's so much easier if I'm helping a child perform that on another person. So if there's a sibling there or a mom there, which is usually the case. I'll just help the kid, you know, I'll say, let's brush mama's hair. Mama, mama, 
Mama's here. Fresh Mama's here. And so we're over there, and I'm taking his hand. If he doesn't do it, if he's not following that direction, because either A, he doesn't understand receptively what I'm asking him to do, or B, he has never tried or even thought about using play in that way, uh, I just help him. I grab his little hand and we, you know, hand over hand assistance and we do it. We brush mama's hair or we pretend to give mama a drink or we, um, you know, take that plastic food and have mama pretend to take a bite. And you may have to do some coaching with mom and let her know that it's coming, especially if she's not really into what you're doing. <laughs> but it is sometimes easier if, if there's a third person there and you'll help the child do it with, the, use that object on that other person. Now, some kids, we really have to stay in this phase for a while. I mean, I'll say we have to teach it, and really what I'm meaning is we have to over-teach it, meaning we have to do it and 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 do it until they start to expect that and anticipate, gosh, she's about to make me do it to my mom again. And so they go ahead and do it that way. That's how they first begin early pretend play. It's not intrinsic yet. But you've modeled enough, you've established the motor plan enough that that's what they automatically do because they know, okay, I'm going to use this for a while and then I need to branch out and use it on somebody else. This is particularly challenging for our little friends who don't naturally include other people in play. So if you have a child who seems to avoid other people or who's not really interested in other people, this will be a super hard step for him. And sometimes therapists will say, well, you know, I really think he's doing a lot of pretend play, so I don't really think this step is necessary. Or they'll say, you know, it just makes him mad when I have him do it with another person or when I try to bring mom in. And, yeah, I get that. And I never want to make a kid mad. And I never intentionally set out to do those kinds of things. And if I know a kid is just going to lose it and have a meltdown, I will not do it. But... <laughs> We want children to be interactive and communicative, and this is a great way to get that going with these really early, simple little things that they can do at this uh, next little phase, this third little phase of pretend play. So do what you can to involve other people at this phase. And again, if it, there's a kid who has red flags for autism, this is one of the things that he may really, really struggle with. But here's what I found. If we persist a little bit, and if we keep going and if we can make this meaningful for him, meaning that he's not just doing it because it's rote and it's the next thing and uh, he knows it comes next, so he has to do it. If we can make it meaningful and fun and mom is into it and he somehow gets into it because you and mom as the therapist are just having a ball doing it or at least pretending like you're having a really good time, he'll start to do it too. And it will become valuable and, and internally fun so that it's something he likes and wants to do over and over again. And I found that if I stay at this level long enough, kids will really, really start to do it themselves. And mom will say, you know, even kind of kiddingly sometimes, you know, boy, I really wish that you had not taught him to brush my hair because that's all he wants to do now. <laughs> and then I think, well, oh, that's kind of become a sensory activity. It's not really pretend play, but it's a good bridge. And so really, really spend some time thinking about that and talking about that with parents. And, again, some kids will be able to move for, through this process pretty quickly, but some of our little friends may stay here for weeks or even months that we have to just stay in this phase and help them and help them and help them and help them and teach them and teach them and teach them so that this does begin to have that as I've already said, that intrinsic value, that intrinsic, that they it's rewarding for them to do it because they like it. But they have to have enough practice and exposure so that they can get to that level. It's probably not going to happen with a kid who's socially detached or who's just not as connected as you want him to be. It won't happen without a lot of effort and time to really, really implement um, this kind of strategy and have mom do it a lot where she's really playing and that's why the pretend with me backpack works pretty well because mom already has all of her materials gathered and she might think about doing these things in other activities and boy I hope that moms do and I spend a lot of time talking to moms about that but if you've given moms this specific activity and you've modeled how to be fun with it and you've shown them in a session how how you can really teach a kid or get a kid to do these things They'll do it on their own. They'll start to include that as part of uh, one of their regular play routines. So think about that and be sure that you're talking with parents too 
when a kid is struggling with it, you know, you may say, well, this isn't as fun for him, one, because he doesn't understand it yet, and two, because he's not as socially connected to other people as we want him to be. And now sometimes moms will balk at that, too. They'll say, well, you know that he loves me. You know that that's not the problem here. And you have to say, yes, but... (laughs) Yes, but he's not really showing me that he understands that why this is uh, a good idea or or how that this that he thinks this is fun or that he gets that the hat goes on himself and then the hat can go on you. And you really talk about that and you you know and this kind of gets into that whole theory of mind uh kind of conversation that we have a lot with parents of children who are on the spectrum. Children can't always put themselves in another person's place. Sometimes they're pretty Uh, centrally motivated, meaning that everything is about them and they don't think too much about other people. And again, all toddlers are kind of like that to an extent. I mean, that's just a maturational process. But at the same time, our little guys who are on the spectrum really, really struggle with engaging with other people. So that's just a conversation you'll have to have and you'll have to say things like, this is where it starts. You know, he's not going to know how to really play with friends when he's in preschool if he can't really interact with you in this way. He's not going to really share Um, blocks at the block table or the block center in preschool if he's not going to be able to take turns with you, you know, putting Mr. Potato Head glasses on you and then on himself. If he doesn't get that back and forth piece with toys right now here with you, with a mom that, you know, he is the center of your universe, he's not going to get it with a little friend his own age. So that's how you really, really explain that rationale for wanting him to do this back and forth and this early pretending. And again, you're lumping in all of those skills that we've talked about in previous shows, especially the 11 skills that toddlers must master before words emerge. You know, here when you're talking about this back and forth play, we are talking about reciprocity, which is turn-taking. We are talking about joint attention, which is where he notices what you're paying attention to. And then he includes you. You know, there's that three-point attention there. He, uh, again, is just engaged with you. He's smiling at you, that eye contact. He's right there with you. So these are so um, important, these kinds of activities for encompassing all of those skills that we've been talking about for the whole year in 2016 really kind of can come down to this level of play. How does he put it all together? How does he integrate all of those individual skills? All right, so that was step number three. Step number four, and let's just kind of review. First, we, step one was we wanted a child to learn what? To use familiar toys and objects appropriately. And what was step two? We want him to learn how to use objects on himself. And then step three, we moved him up to using objects on somebody else. And so now what do we do? It's learning to combine objects, so more than one pretend play object in play. This is where we go wrong. Many, many, many times we jump straight to this phase. So, again, for a kid who's just been involved in constructive play, meaning he likes blocks and he likes Legos and he likes stacking everything on top of each other. And then we think, oh, well, I'm going to teach him how to pretend play today. That's what we're going to work on. And you jump straight to toys in this category. So you bring out the barn and the farm and then you wonder why he's not interested in it. And you say, well, he hasn't seen a barn. He doesn't live by any farm. So this isn't meaningful for him. Yada, yada, yada. That may be true, but most of the time it's that he really doesn't understand pretend play and we've jumped way too far ahead we've gotten to this level of early pretend play without considering the steps that have to come first so here what we're doing is it's just that natural extension we we help the kid learn how to use objects on himself and then on another person and now we want him to take some of those objects and combine those in interesting ways so i forgot to mention when we were doing the pretend with me backpack one of the things that I use in there is a baby doll or a character. If I, if I know that it's a little boy who likes Woody or Buzz Lightyear or Diego or whoever, Batman, I'll put that object in the backpack so that we can move toward this combining objects and pretend play. So let, let me just give you another example. A lot of times we will have a kid who will just hang on to a particular toy for dear life, and I think I've already used this example today in this show. So let's say he loves Thomas or he loves Superman, and he just hangs on to that one object, again, 
all day, every day. He might not even do too much with it. It's kind of his security object, but he likes it, and he throws a holy fit when you try to take it away. Here's where you may be able to really use that object and really help a kid branch off and expand his play. Now, a lot of times you'll know that a kid, again, hasn't isn't at this developmental level for the very reason that we just talked about. He's Well, he's not there, and that you haven't seen any evidences of him combining these objects in pretend play because he has just, you know, hung on to Thomas for dear life and not done very much with Thomas. You don't even really see him roll it, or you certainly don't see him kind of take Thomas and crash it into another train when mom is trying her best to get him to do it. Sometimes that is, especially for kids with autism, you know, they will really, really have their preferred objects and have an unusual attachment to them. Uh, and again, that's one of the hallmarks of autism. But here, it's a great opportunity. It's a great avenue for introducing this kind of play. And so, again, back to my example about the backpack. I've had that object in the backpack, and then we don't do it initially. We do it last <laughs> if we can. But start with having that child just do some really simple things to that object. And, again, this goes back to using the object on or to himself. So if he's had Thomas, and you have not been able to get him to play with Thomas in any any kind of way, maybe beyond putting him on the floor and rolling him back and forth, which again would be the step one, using the object uh, in the way it's intended. This is where you start with that. Have him kiss Thomas or pat Thomas. You know, put him on, hold him in one hand and pat him with the other, or put him, if he will, let it go. Put it on the floor of the table and pat, 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 pat him like he's going to sleep. You know, and you can pretend, you know, a little night-night game or whatever you want to do there. That's always great fun. You can have him tickle Thomas. You can have him hug Thomas. Anything that you can think of that he would do to Thomas, that's basically what you are. You're accomplishing the steps that, that we've already talked about, that step number two, using that object on himself or that that's kind of the same thing and so if a kid isn't overly attached to an object and I'm just trying to move them toward this I'll use the baby doll and again the examples that I've already given you kiss the baby hug the baby tickle the baby pat the baby those are the ones that I usually do um, hide the baby throw the baby you know if mom doesn't think that's too violent or anything kids do it anyway they throw everything but kids will think that's really funny and that's something that they'll imitate and then you can have you know pretend like the baby is fake crying if it gets too rough and you have to calm it back down but those are those are examples so then once a kid is doing that with his little character like we talked about with thomas or with the baby doll we, that then and only then are they really ready to start to combine objects in play. And here's what I said before. When, sometimes when we think about pretend play, we jump straight to here. So we'll have a kid try to feed the baby doll, and he is nowhere interested in that because he's not met these prerequisite steps. He hasn't used the spoon to try to feed himself and try to feed mom, and he's certainly not developmentally ready to try to feed the doll. He doesn't understand it yet. So you've got to work a kid up to this level. And remember, don't get stuck on me saying baby dolls. You can it, you can use any kind of character. If a dad, and I started saying this before and ran off in another direction, but if a dad is reluctant to let his son play with baby dolls, and guys, that happens everywhere. That's universal. <laughs> I've worked with kids of all different nationalities and cultures, and that's not just, you know, a Southern American thing. That's, you know, I, I've had fathers from Pakistan and um, UK and Ireland, everywhere, who say, gosh, I'm not so sure about that. So use another little character. And like I said before, if they already have a little favorite, use that character and you can introduce all of these kinds of play activities with that. But here is where we learn how to combine the objects. So back to the pretend me backpack. So pretend with me backpack. You would have the baby doll, so what would you do? Use your other objects that you've gathered. So put the glasses from your little backpack that at first you were having him put on him and then you wanted him to put those glasses on mom. Now you're having him put the glasses on the baby doll. So can you see how you've walked him through that progression? So you do the same thing. 
give the baby a drink. So you have him give the doll a drink with the cup. Brush the baby's hair. Baby wipes are a really fun thing to put in there. So you would have him wash the baby's arm or belly or toes or whatever. So you're having him learn how to do this very sequentially. Now, you can make it a lot more naturalistic than this. You don't have to be as intentional as getting that pretend with me little bag going where you have him do these things. But for kids who are having a hard time learning how to pretend, boy, this is the way to go because it's – I kind of feel like it's down and dirty. Do you know what I mean by that? Boy, you are just hitting what you need to hit with what your goal is. You, know, you are not leaving it to chance. It is not quite as naturalistic as you would like for it to be, but you're getting the job done. So I, I like to think about it in that way. But if, you're, if you have a kid who doesn't need that much intentional practice, certainly you can jump in here at this phase and really foster some nice pretend play just by showing them what to do. You're modeling several things to do to that baby. And here's the thing. I like using the same object for lots of different expansions. So I like using a doll and, like I said before, washing the doll and trying to brush the baby's teeth and uh, putting the glasses on and giving the baby a bite from the spoon and having a baby take a pretend to take a bite from um, the pretend banana. The other way you can do it is change how, use the same action on lots of different characters. And again, this is more advanced than we should really be talking about here at this phase, but it works. So let me go ahead and tell you about it. So then you might, what you might do then is if you have a banana, a pretend plastic banana that you've gotten the baby doll to eat, then you might have another character. If you have a, an Elmo or a Dora or a Buzz Lightyear, you would feed the banana to, to those characters too. So then you're taking that same action and you're just having different little people use that same action. So can you see how you're expanding play, but you're, doing, you're coming about it and approaching it in a different way? So that's another idea. But again, that's a little bit more advanced. Don't start with that. But if you, if you have a kid that, gosh, all he wants to do, the only item that he'll use and really with any consistency in this pretend with me set that you've made is the hairbrush, and you can't get him to do anything but that, well, then just know that that's how his little brain works and that's what you're going to do and you're going to gather as many different things with hair as you can find for him to try to brush hair. Or if the kid only likes pretending like the baby doll is asleep and you can't get him to do anything else, that's when you think, okay, well, let me just expand it in a different way and I'll pull in these different toys. And like I said, you'll look around and you'll get a different baby doll. You'll get a Barbie. You'll get... Um, Anything else that sort of looks like a person that's a character. But, again, I've done it with Thomas. You know, Thomas has eyes, face, and a mouth, so he looks like a person to me. You know, then you would pretend Thomas goes to sleep, and you would pretend, oh, gosh, even your little plastic animals, the kitty cat goes to sleep. So if you have a kid that's a little bit stuck on one particular play action, or if he just loves it, that's how you can expand it too. So those are the four steps. That's what, that's what we're aiming for when we're introducing pretend play. So now let me spend the last 10 or 11 minutes of the show talking about specific toy suggestions. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, especially from parents in outside the USA who might not have as many shopping opportunities as we have, <laughs> or if they live in just a really rural part of any country, even if it's the United States, and they've I've gotten lots of emails that have said, you know, thank you so much for finally putting links and explaining exactly and showing me exactly what the toy that you're talking about is and how to use it because I really had no idea just from listening to you <laughs> what toy you were even talking about. So that's why the links are in these posts so that you can see the toy and then if you want to get it, you know, online, if that's if you are as obsessed with that as I am, you know, practically all my shopping now is online. You can get it there, or you've seen the picture, and you can get it when you're out doing your own shopping. And Christmas is coming up, so I know lots and lots of parents are looking for things that they can get their children that will be helpful as they are working on language development. So let me just give you my favorite options here for 
introducing this kind of early pretend play and let's zip through some of these. Now, I've mentioned playing baby dolls, and again, I think that is the very best and easiest early pretend play activity out there. I look for sets that will give me a lot of bang for my buck. So the kinds of things that we've already talked about, you know, you'll need a doll and then you'll need some accessories like a brush, a bottle, a blanket, a carrier, little clothes for the doll that you can take on and off. But just know most toddlers prefer that doll to be naked <laughs> most of the time. And, again, that's a universal thing, too. Kids like that. The hat and the shoes are going to be the thing that you'll – or socks will be the thing that you'll – put on and take off most often a lot of times if you dress a baby doll in those pajamas they want them off but any little accessories that can come with the baby doll so look for that now let me just say you do not have to spend a lot of money on this you can make your own baby doll set and just look around your own house and gather the things we talked about are a cup a spoon even that the child uses from your own kitchen Pull those things together and have them ready to play. Now, you can also think about bigger pretend pieces, too, like a, a doll stroller, a doll carrier, uh, a little crib. I put a link uh, for a couple of cute little sets like that, but I've had so many little clients start to play with the baby doll when we put the baby in the stroller and push the baby doll stroller through the house. They think that is so, so fun. And then you can bridge from that activity. They may not have paid too much attention to that doll before, but after you've done it a lot with the stroller, you might say, put the hat on the baby. The baby wants a hat. And that may be a way that you can get in there and start to do some of this object combining with um, – that early little thing. Another set that I have that I use all the time with baby dolls is a bathtub set. And mine is from Dollar General or another cheapo place like that. And it's just, and you don't even have to have the baby bathtub to make this fun. You can get a diaper wipe or a wipe box and pretend like it's a, a bathtub for a plastic baby doll but that's a lot of fun just that water play and we talked about that last week in our sensory play show and how universally appealing water play is for toddlers so to pretend like you're giving the doll a bath is a super first early pretend play activity once you've gotten the kid to do some other things so once you've gotten the kid to kiss the baby and pat the baby and tickle the baby and you've ridden the baby doll maybe around in the stroller or carried them in a little carrier, like a, like a little snuggy carrier, then you might move on to introducing the bathtub because that would be a fun uh, way to do it. Now, there are lots of language things that we can do with the baby doll set too. So don't forget our receptive language goals, which always include following directions, so feeding the baby, brushing the baby's hair, washing her toes, the things that we've talked about. But again, remember, before, you might have just been thinking about play for play's sake, which is important because it's part of cognition, but don't forget about all the wonderful language things that you're teaching here, too. And remember, receptive language is the foundation for expressive language, so we always want to be sure that we are taking the time to teach a child to understand new words. So here you are really honing in on the names of all the accessories that you're using. Plus, you're really teaching those familiar verbs and action words like eat, wash, drink, jump, walk. You can make that baby dance. <laughs> you can make her fall, sleep. You can make the baby, you know, rock the baby in your arms. So, so many things you can do there. You can also teach a ton of prepositions and location words here. You know, clothing items are put on and off. We can put the baby on the couch. We can take the baby off the couch. We can put the baby under the table, under some more advanced preposition, but you get my point. You can do lots of things to teach what these words mean with these play routines that we've established. Dolls are fantastic for teaching descriptive words too, so big and little, wet and dry, yucky, stinky, pretty, any descriptive word that you would want to introduce there. Uh, baby dolls are a great way to do it. Let's quickly move on to what we've talked about a lot already, but our little plastic foods. So kitchen sets kind of come into play here. I've already shared over and over how obsessed I am with Velcro food and that little toy microwave, but certainly bigger kitchen sets where you're moving children to that really kind of um, 
more upscale pretend play where they have a whole little model kitchen there to start to pretend with. Now, remember that a kid won't get there automatically if they're if they have some developmental delays. You're going to have to lead them through that, and you'll do it with the process that we've already talked about today. So it won't begin with them with the, you know, you buy them the kitchen set and it's there on Christmas morning and you expect them to run, get a baby doll and start to sit down and play tea party with the baby doll with the kitchen set. That's not going to happen. (laughs) It does happen in normal uh, language development sometimes, but even then kids are really following that sequential process that we've outlined today. So you'll have to start with them just, you know, pretending to take one of the cups and pretending to, Put it under the faucet, you know, with the pretend kitchen, you know, and pretending you're going to turn on the water, which, you know, pretending you're going to drink from that cup, those kinds of things. You'll have to kind of back up and work them through how to use all of those fancy new things that you've just bought them there with the kitchen set. And don't forget, you can teach a lot of new action words there, cut, cook, stir, all done, in addition to all the names of the food and all the other uh, names of accessories. All right, one of the next kinds of play things that I introduce is a pretend playground or a house with characters. So I always want to be sure I have little doll people. So you could use Fisher-Price or little people or any other little characters. You know, for years, McDonald's has offered those kinds of little character toys in their Happy Meals, and I just have a whole collection of those that I've had you know, for 25 years now. But you can buy other little characters, Disney characters, if they are into a certain show. And if you're a mom, you've probably already gone and bought those characters so that a kid can play with those. But it's a nice way to bridge what they look at when they're watching a television show or a movie and then real life with what they're actually doing. So I like to pair those little characters with a little pretend playground, so something with a swing and a slide Those are so fun, and it's such a good way to get pretend play going. So take a look at some of those links so that you can see what I'm talking about. Now, a pretend house is a good idea, but I'm just going to be really honest. I don't have much luck with a house until a kid's pretend play skills are firmly established. I think that you can do better, even with a Fisher-Price barn and animals, before kids are going to somehow want to play with that house and that doesn't make a lot of sense because you think well you know the house should be more familiar it's got a bed and a kitchen and a potty and a bathtub why is it why does it not work that way I wish I could tell you I think I think really I can tell you it's just more complex to put it together and when you're really looking at say the Fisher Price barn and you've got the cat and the cow and the horse there and all that they're really doing is sleeping and eating and running See how that's a lot more simple? It might not be as familiar, but it is because it's the same kind of thing, but somehow just it's just not as complex, even visually, as a pretend house might be. So I wanted to share that in full disclosure that I typically go with the playground and something like the barn before I would do anything like the little people house. But it's still a good investment. And if you're looking at something that your child can use for a long, long time, and say you're thinking about a Christmas present, it is a good idea to get that. But no, again, you're going to have to work that kid into being able to play with that. It may not come as naturally or as easily as you would like. You're going to have to really teach it and model it before a kid is going to have a lot of, um, before that toy has enough staying power. And by that, I mean that he just wants to stay and play for a pretty long time. Now, vehicles for early pretend play are a super good idea, and some kids need to sort of start here first. So like the tractor that you're putting animals in or the farmer in and he drives the tractor, or if a kid's really into Diego, a Diego vehicle that you can put Diego in and let him drive around. Or I had a kid a few years ago who was obsessed with Jake and the Neverland Pirates. So for us, our first real pretend play in combining objects was him with his Disney characters and having them with the Jake and the Neverland Pirates boat fly down the slide or get in the boat and get out of the boat. Those were the first kinds of combinations that we could get with that kid, but we used his interest. So that's why it really, really worked. Now, in the last couple of minutes here, look at the links with plastic animal sets. You can do farm animals, zoo animals, dinosaurs are a good one. And with my dinosaur set, I've gotten a 
I've had it for years, a tub, uh, just a Rubbermaid container, and then I've gone and bought new sand from Toys R Us because it's clean, and kids love hiding those animals in the, in the sand. And we talked about that last week with sensory play. So this is what you're doing. You're introducing that maybe as a sensory activity. Maybe we're, all we're doing is hiding and finding the people or animals, but then you start to pretend. You have them jump. You have them, you know, you can even call it swim in the sand. You're you're making them jump out of the box and then back in the box. You're making them sleep. You're making them give the other characters kisses. You're having the kid kiss the character. So just think about how you can expand and incorporate all of the ideas that we've talked about and with each of these little play routines. And look what you're doing. I've given you, gosh, at least, at least, 10 different ideas that you can implement this week to help a little friend who's really struggling to learn um, what he can do with pretend play. Now, next week, we'll take that a little further. We'll talk about more advanced pretend play, and I hope that you'll join me for that show. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye.